So listen, we're in Isaiah 65. If you've uh, been a part of this series, wow, what a year it's been. We've walked through the entire prophet's book uh, throughout the course of this year. Joe will finish it up next week as we will wrap up our study of Isaiah and what a study it's been. And the story's been the same, right? The story's been the same all throughout the book of Isaiah to a large degree. It's been the same. It's been the same story. God has made it clear the way he wants people to live. He made it clear to the Israelites. He made it clear to those who were in the nation of Judah. And yet in spite of God's warning, in spite of God's pleas, in spite of God's in spite of God's warnings, in spite of God's pleas, and over and over again, they kept doing the same stupid stuff. And every time they did it, things fell apart. And then they would cry out. They would cry out and they would beg God and they would tell God that they've learned their lesson and they would, they would whine. And that's exactly where we're at in, Ch- in Isaiah 65. In Isaiah 63 and 64, Isaiah prays on behalf of the nation of Judah. And his prayer to God is basically this, you're amazing. And he lists some of the amazing things that God's done through the history of the nation of Israel. And then he gets into chapter 64 and he basically boils it down to this. We messed up. You told us we messed up. Now Jerusalem's trashed. The temple's burnt to the ground. And here is what we want to know, God. Are you going to stay mad at us forever? Is there any way that we can get out of this? And my guess is this, that if you've been a Christian for, for any length of time, you felt the way that, that Isaiah spoke in a prayer on behalf of his people to God. God, I messed up. I Listen, I know what you wanted me to do. I know what your word says. I know what my parents told me. I know what my friends said. I know exactly what I was supposed to do, and I didn't do it. And now I've messed up, and my life's a mess. My relationships are a mess. My finances are a mess. And God, here's the question I want to know. Is this going to last forever? And in Isaiah chapter 65, God responds to that prayer through the prophet Isaiah. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I don't know about you, but I find prayer interesting, right? How many of you, how many, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody online, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with praying sometimes? Just struggle with the idea of speaking into this open space, whether you're driving or whether you're at the dinner table, whether you're on your knees, right? Wherever you're at, just talking into this empty space and never really hearing God go, well, let me tell you about that. Let me answer. I don't know about you, but after 30 some years of following the Lord, sometimes prayer feels a little bit one-sided, right? Man, there's times I would love for God to just say, clear his throat and just say, I've got an answer for you, Gord. It would be nice to hear back, right? Because sometimes prayer can be difficult. And one of the joys I had as, as a parent was listening to our kids pray. Anybody ever enjoy listening to your kids pray? Right? Some of the funniest things come out of kids' mouths when they pray. I've got a few examples here I just sort of wanted to share with you. Here was one. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> right? That's good, right? How about this one? Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Right? How about this one? Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. Hope there's no Dennis Clarks in here, right? And how about this one? Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Right? Like, children's prayers are incredibly simple. And for some reason... Right? They don't always have this expectation of hearing back. But man, I don't know about you, 
but I do. And one of the things I truly appreciated about, about studying Isaiah 65 was that God does just that. He answers these prayers. And even though the heart of the folks of Judah may not have been completely in line with everything that Isaiah prayed, we get an immediate response. And what we get is we get to learn a lot about God and his response to the nation of Israel. Because like I said, whether you're online or whether you're in here, my guess is everybody to some degree, whether they're willing to admit it or not, knows what it's like to know the right thing, to not do it, have their life mess up, and then go to God and say, God, how long is this going to last? Is there any way this is going to get better? And that's exactly what we learned. So we're going to get to it. There's four responses that I think, listen, we could spend a lot of time in Isaiah 65. And if we were on Wednesday night, I'd spend a lot of time in Isaiah 65, right? But Joe told me, Joe's up at the International Conference on Missions, and Joe told me, he looked me in the eye and he said, tell me, you're going to get out on time. And so I looked at Joe and I said, I'm going to get out on time, right? And then I, as he left, I brought my fingers out. No, we're going to get out on time, right? So here's the first response from Isaiah chapter 65. I'm a God who makes the first move. I'm a God who makes the first move. Now, listen, I'm old. I've been married for 32 years. So making the first move is a little bit different and weird. But my guess is that how many of you have been married? I, I don't want to single out married folks. But for this example, I'm going to single out married folks. How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you have ever had a fight with your spouse? And how many of you have gone to bed mad? Right? Listen, if every one of you who had a fight with your spouse didn't raise your hand, shame on you, right? And, and here's the thing. How many of you have gone to bed angry at your spouse, but you didn't really want to be angry at your spouse? You'd really like for it to be resolved. But the two of you lay in bed, right? Two of you lay in bed and you're, you're waiting, right? You're waiting for that other person to sort of give you the signal that it's okay to make up, right? You're just waiting for that moment where maybe their foot brushes yours and you're like, hey, was that you trying to make up, right? You're like, you're like, you're like, and I know this is an awkward conversation for church, but we're talking in marriage, so it's okay, right? Right? But you're waiting for that and you're, listen, you're waiting for that first move. You're waiting for that person to, to make the effort to say, hey, we can work this out. Here's what Isaiah, what God tells us through the prophet Isaiah in verse 1. Isaiah 65, 1, he says, I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. I was found by those who didn't seek me. He says, to a nation that didn't call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. Now listen, for years, the touchy-feely kind of God did not appeal to me. Right, These people that talked about God being love and really focusing on that. I mean, for people who know me now, they have a hard time believing that that's the case about me. But there was a time in my life after Bible college where that, that just annoyed me because it felt to me that people were trying to dummy God down and really water him down to a human level. But here's what I've learned about God through all these years and through reading his word. The reason that God makes the first move is because he loves you. Listen, everything about God's promises to have a relation with, relationship with you are first and foremost built on the fact that he loves you. 
And I don't care who you are and I don't care what your day's been like or what your last month's been like or what your last year's been like or what your past has been like. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what your social economic, you know, style is. I don't care if you're a millennial, a Gen Z, a Gen X, a baby boomer. It doesn't matter. God's first move toward his people is built on love. Listen to these scriptures. I'm just going to read through them. And again, just a reminder just a reminder, if you're here online and you want to follow along, we don't hand out notes. Go to your Version Bible app, log in there, click on more, find live events, click on Tomoka, and all the notes for all of our services, whether it's weekends, Wednesday, or Tuesdays, are always present there for you to download them. John 3.16. Everybody knows this when it goes to church. For God so the world that he gave his one and only son, right? How about this next verse in, in uh, Romans 5.8? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God makes the first move. He's not waiting on you. Listen, some of you are in church today and some of you are watching online and you're thinking to yourself, I can't come to God until I get my life fixed up. I can't come to God until I get some things straightened out. That's not true. God's already demonstrated his love for you in that while you were still out doing stupid stuff last night, Jesus died for you. He made the first move. He's not waiting on you to get it right. God went and made it right before you or I ever chose to face him. How about this one in, in 1 John 4? 1 John 4 verse 10 and 19 says this, this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John four nineteen sums it up this way. We love because he first loved us. Listen, God makes the first move. And what I want you to know today, whether it, it, listen, if you're in here or you're watching online and Jesus is not your savior and reason that he's not your savior is because you're waiting for your life to get better before you can make the first move. You don't have to worry about that. God's already made that move to you. And maybe you're in here or maybe you're watching online and you've messed up. And you don't know how to get back to God. You need to know that God's already made the first move. He's already made that move by making you right with him through the sacrifice of his son and your acceptance of that. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. He says, but because of his great what? Because of his great what? Because of his great love. Salvation is first and foremost built on the idea that God loves us. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And everybody in here who knows Jesus says what? Right? Listen, God makes the first move. Don't. Don't stay away from God. Don't stay away from his son, Jesus, because you're waiting to make your move to get it right before God will accept you. He's already taken care of that. God's already made the first move. Here's the second response that we get. The second response that we get from this chapter is this one. I'm a God who gets even. I'm a God who gets even. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not the kind of person, never have been, Never was the kind of person that felt like I needed to get out even with people that, that hurt me. But my guess is, in a room this large with this many people, 
with as many people watching online as we have, that some of you are people who really feel the need to get even. Yes or no? (laughs) There's nobody in here that ever feels the need to get even. Bunch of liars. I'm going to bring the worship team out. We're going to sing, man. I know that. Listen, I know that sounds harsh. But there's some of you in here that really want to see justice done to people. They, you don't want them to get away with stuff. You want the scales to be balanced. You want to make it even, right? Listen, we live in a really desperately dark world. Really desperately dark world. And I think sometimes as believers, we forget that our God is coming back and he's going to make things right. Listen, our God is going to get even. And even though it may seem like to us through the perusing of headlines and watching what's happening in our world and watching what's happening here in America, I know sometimes it's easy to feel like, man, what is happening? Listen, our God's going to get even. The scales are going to be balanced. Our God's not going to take this forever. And that's exactly what God tells the people of Judah through the prophet Isaiah. They want to know, are you going to stay mad forever? And God says, no, I'm not going to stay mad forever. Because at some point in time, I'm going to punish you. This is going to last forever. Look at verse 2 of Isaiah 65, 2. It says, all day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people. Just so you know, that's exactly how God treats you today. God's constantly holding his hand out to those of us who are obstinate at times and are obedience and are surrender to him. God says, who walk in ways who aren't good. That's our God. He's long-suffering. Right? He's abounding in mercy and grace to those who accept Jesus. He says, I, I've held out my hands to obstinate people who walk in ways who are, that are not good. And listen to this, pursuing their own, everybody say that word, imaginations. Man, I like that word because in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, that word means to weave, to plate, to braid. Right? And the idea is that you can take something, you can take something original, and then you can weave something into it and create something new. Something sort of like this. I think I have a picture there, David. Right here. Right here. So this young girl, right, took her original hair, and then she weaved in this this other piece of hair, right, and created something original. That is the Hebrew word that Isaiah uses to describe a people who are obstinate and who walk in a way that's not good. And here's what Isaiah is saying, because you can go on and read the next several verses. These are people that felt that honoring God, you could do that by worshiping on the high hills and eating the flesh of pigs and sitting in the cemetery and practicing necromancy and speaking to the dead. And they felt like that was all fine. And at the end of the day, they were so convinced of their own holiness. They said, listen, I'm so holy right now. You need to stay away from me. Listen, part of what you and I need to understand is that eventually God's going to get even. And who's he going to get even with? He's going to get even with people who've decided that the original tapestry that God lays out in his word isn't good enough. That we need to weave something new Right? We need to create a new way to worship God. We need to create new paths to be holy and sacred. And that'll be just fine with God. 
but it's not. Listen to what these verses say. I want to read to you uh, a verse in Proverbs 14, 12, right? And then one in Judges. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that seems what? Right to a man, but the end of that leads to death. And the last verse of Judges, one of the most telling verses in all of Scripture. In those days, Israel had no king. and Everyone did as he saw fit. Right? The reality is this, that our God's going to get even. And he's going to get even with people who see, who see. They have no king. They have no authority. And it's okay to pursue, listen, it's okay to pursue God the way I want to. Because listen, I don't care about church. But man, I'm incredibly spiritual. And I'm going to pursue my spirituality. And I'm going to pursue my holiness. And I'm going to do it in a way that seems right to me. Let's be clear. Our God isn't a fan of that process. There's a way to honor God in truth. Is there room for individual expression? Man, I hope so. I hope there's some, some, some room for individual expression because we're not alike. Some of you stand and worship and never, ever say a word. But when the song's over, you clap to high heaven. Some of you love to dance and bounce up and down during worship. And others look at you with scorn. Right? Some of you raise your hands all the way in the air and some of you hold them down, right? Some of you stay seated. I hope there's room for individual expression when it comes to honoring God. But let's be clear, church. There's not freedom in pursuing a new way to think that we're right with God. God has a pattern. And that pattern goes through Jesus, his son. These people decided that, listen, honoring God's a simple thing. We'll take God and we'll mix in the way that we think we should do it. We'll go to the high hills. We'll eat pig meat. We'll talk to the dead and we'll call ourselves holy and that'll be good. And Isaiah records that God says, that's just a stench of smoke in my nostril. Years ago, I made my first mission trip to Guatemala. I had to go by myself and meet the missionary there. That was Joe's way of deciding whether I was fit for service or not. <laughs> and so he sent me to Guatemala City. And I didn't know anything about Guatemala City. I'd done some reading about it. And what I knew was it wasn't Ormond Beach. Right? And I knew that they spoke a language I didn't speak. And, and I knew that there was high crime. And I knew there were countries that had them on the no travel list. But this will be fun, right? I remember, I remember getting to the airport and I remember being told, because I just wanted to hang in the airport. Just let me sit here until, until the missionary gets here because I don't really want to go outside because I'm scared. I can't speak Spanish. I don't really have any, there's nobody here but me, right? Like, like I don't want to do this. And I remember being told by the guards, armed guards in the airport, you can't stay in here. All right. So I was forced to go outside and I just sat by this pillar and waited. And here's the only thing that I remember from the, that couple hour wait was this God awful smell that permeated the place while I sat at the airport. I had no idea what it was and I couldn't ask anybody because I didn't speak Spanish. And all I could smell was this, this stench in my nostril. And eventually the missionary, the missionary showed up. First thing I asked him was, what is that God-awful smell? And he said, that's the city dump. 
He said it's all the fires that are burning out at the dump to get rid of all of that noxious waste on the side of the road after people pilfer it for something they could sell for rice or beans. And I smelled that smell all week long. And I didn't know if I'd ever get that smell out of my nostrils. It was a stench inside of there I couldn't get out. Here's what God says about our desire to pursue him in a way that's new. That we don't need the old pattern. We don't need Jesus. We don't need the blood of Christ. We don't need to honor him in that way. We can go to the high places. We can do our own thing because we're spiritual. And now we're holy and sacred. God says that that's a stench in my nostrils. And I will get even for that. Listen, I want you and I to recognize that that kind of action isn't okay. I'm just going to read a quick story to you in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul was the king of Israel. God picked him. He was a big boy. He was tall. The Israelites said, we need a king so we can feel like everybody else. And of course, they did the right thing. They picked a tall guy. Right? They went with Saul. And so Saul was the king of Israel. And he'd be given a job. And here's what it is. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I'll punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So the Amalekites were a problem as Israel was leaving Egypt in bondage. He says to Saul, go attack the Amalekites and what? Everybody say the word totally. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. The story goes on. In verses 8 and 9, and after Saul went with his army and wiped out the Amalekites, here's what happened. Saul took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. What else did he do? But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good... These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Those are two different things, are they not? Totally destroy everything. Saul kept Agag alive and kept the good stuff for himself and the army. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I'm grieved that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and hasn't carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And he goes on to say, bring the next verse. But Samuel said to Saul, because man, Saul's proud of himself. Samuel shows up after praying all night and he shows up and there's Saul. Saul's beaming. He whipped the Amalekites, wiped them out. Tells Samuel such. And Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? Because what did Samuel expect? Samuel expected him to honor God by wiping what out? Everything. And yet, what is this lowing of cattle that I hear Samuel says? He goes on to say, the soldiers, Saul, what a, what a wonderful man. The, the king throws his army under the bus. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle, right? It's their fault. They brought him to sacrifice. Look, they're, they're trying to be holy. They, they brought him to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally, we totally destroyed the rest of them. Listen to what Samuel says. Samuel goes on and he says in verses 18, he sent you on a mission, God did, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. 
The Amalekites make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Listen to what Saul says. This is crazy. He said, totally wipe him out. He kept the king alive and kept the good stuff alive. And when Samuel asked him, why did you do what God said to do? What's he say? I did obey the Lord. It's crazy, right? Did he obey the Lord? No. But he said he did. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me, right? I did all of those things. that completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. He's so blinded by his own sinfulness of not following the Lord and weaving this new tapestry of what it could be like to honor God like so many of us do. I don't have to do that to honor God. I can do this to honor God. God said to do this, but I can do this because I'm going to weave my own way. And we get blinded by our sinfulness and we say, but we're doing the right thing. Look at what Samuel says. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. This is Saul's explanation. In order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Why? Because to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Listen, I don't care what sacrifice we're making to God. If it's not out of obedience to his word, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. And listen, for some of us, that's where our relationship with God has been stuck. For some of you online, for some of you in here, our relationship with God is stuck because we've been willing to offer God all kinds of sacrifices. We'll offer our time Right? We'll offer our money. We'll offer our talents. We'll go on mission trips. We'll serve. We will sacrifice. And we will be convinced that that's enough to be spiritual when God says to obey me is greater than sacrifice. You see, creating a new path when the old path is the perfect path is a way to make God angry and a way for God to go, at some point in time, I'm going to get even. You see, for some of you today, the relationship with Jesus isn't stuck because you don't love him. It's because you don't want to obey. And so you've just gone out. You've just made your way around the little blockade. And you've just said, I'll just, I'll just weave a new tapestry here. I'll take my brown hair and I'll make a yellow braid in it. And it'll be a new thing. And it'll be just like the old. And you've convinced yourself that you're spiritual. When all you really are is like Saul. On the verge of being rejected. Man, God's a God who's going to be even. Because... The way we approach God, the way we honor God matters a great deal to our God. How about the third response? Here's the third response. Listen to this. It's 718 and I'm halfway through. We're doing great, right? Here's the third response. I'm a God who finds the good. I'm a God who finds the good. Whether it's Fox News app, whether it's CNN app, whether it's Channel 6 out of Orlando, whether it's whatever... Just look through the headlines. Just, just make yourself look through the headlines for a few days in a row. Nine times out of ten, it's all just negative. Right? It's just depressing, dark stuff that makes you sit in your house or in your car or at your desk and shake your head and go, What has happened to our world today? What is happening to our world? It's becoming dark and bleak. It's becoming sad and evil and oppressive. It's amazing to me that this is our country and our world. And I think sometimes you and I can forget 
that our God's a God who always finds the good. Look what Isaiah 65 verse 8 says. Listen, God says, I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to punish them. And look at what verse 8 and 9 says. This is what the Lord says. As when the juice is still found in a cluster of grapes, and men say, don't destroy the cluster, right? Because there's still some good there in it. So will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I'll bring forth descendants from Jacob, from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them, and they, there my servants will live. I grew up with a grandma who lived in this little dinky town, and the best part about going to her house was she had a grape arbor in the backyard, a real live grape arbor. I loved grapes, right? I grew up loving grapes because of that, and today grape is still my favorite fruit flavor, right? How they ever took the grape flavor and made a soft drink out of it is a great, great invention, right? Great knee-high. Anybody in here ever had, had a great knee-high? Now, now, that makes me feel like we're not as old a crowd as I thought we were. Maybe they don't serve it down here, right? But I grew up, I grew up with a grandma that had a grape barber, and so every year it was grape picking season. And so we'd go over there with our buckets and we would pick grapes because grandma would make great jelly and great jam, right? She preserved the grapes. She'd make grape juice out of it. And so we would pick them. And then eventually we'd come back and the vine would be dying and the clusters of grapes would have these old shriveled up grapes on, on them. I remember my grandma telling us, don't just throw the whole cluster away, she would say. Find the grapes on the cluster that are still good. Because those are the ones she wanted us to pick. Because for a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, when you look at the cluster and all you can see are these shriveled up dried grapes, your first inclination was just to take it off and throw it away. Grandma said, even in the midst of all of that, there's still some good grapes on that vine. Listen, that's what God's doing today. God's still finding good. Listen, you need, you need to be encouraged by that today. You need to be encouraged that in spite of the nonsense that's happening in Washington, D.C., in spite of the nonsense that's happening across our nation, in spite of the nonsense that's trying to be perpetrated in our school system and in our churches, in spite of the nonsense that's happening all over the globe, our God will always find good. He'll always find it. And he promises that to Isaiah. Listen, let me give you just a couple examples of how that works in Genesis. Bring that Genesis passage up. When Noah was alive, it says that every thought, every intention of every thought was evil all the time. Listen to that. Every intention, that means every motive of every thought was evil. How often? All the time. And God said, that's it. I'm sick of them. I'm killing them all. I'm wiping them out. And in Genesis chapter 5, verses 8, it says this. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination, every motivation of every thought of a man's heart was only evil all the time. You think it's bad now? It doesn't hold the candle to what it was like when Noah was alive. Even today, there are people with good motives once in a while in their thought pattern. But not then. The Lord was grieved that he had made man at all on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe out mankind who I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I've ever made them. But one of the greatest verses in all of scripture. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Right? God always finds the good. 
Elijah, right? Elijah has this massive miracle on Mount Carmel. Well, it's him against these prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. They build these temp, they build these altars and, and, and the false gods do nothing. And Isaiah, or Elijah built his and he covers it with water and he covers it with water and he says a simple prayer and God shoots fire from heaven and consumes the altar, consumes the water, consumes the dust and consumes everything. Victory for Elijah. And then after all the enemies are killed, Elijah gets this little message. Hey, by the way, Jezebel's unhappy. And she's going to do to you what you did to her prophets. And Elijah goes into a terrible depression. And 1 Kings 17 and 18 records his journey of desperation and fear. And eventually God leads him to the cave of a mountain. And here's what 1 Kings 19 records. When Elijah heard it, that still small voice, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood on the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? Why are you giving up? Why have you come here to just give up? And listen to Elijah's reply. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I felt this way. I mean, I've been serving the Lord for 35 years. Sometimes I felt this way. Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Your people have rejected you. They've broken down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. Listen to this. And I'm the only one left that's doing the right thing. And now they're trying to kill me too. Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody ever feel like you're the only one doing anything right? Because when you look around, all you see are people doing stupid stuff. Listen, if you're raising kids, you feel that way, right? It's easy to feel that way. Listen to what God's response is. God's response is, is this. Elijah, silly, silly man. I still have 7,000 people in Israel whose knees haven't bowed to the false gods. Listen, you're not in this alone. You might look at the world. You might even look at the, the, the condition of those around your life today and think, man, ain't nobody else doing anything. You may have gone through seasons or getting ready to go through a season where you feel incredibly discouraged. Listen, let me tell you something. God always finds the good. So I asked some of my staff. I asked them. I told them what I was talking about. And I asked my staff to share with me. Some of the things that are good that I think sometimes we need to know. Listen, you're going to pack probably close to 5,000 shoeboxes this year, right? You should clap for that, right? 3,500 last year. You're going to, you're good. And here's the thing. 5,000 kids are going to receive that box as a Christmas present because you took the time to do it. And more importantly, more importantly, the hope and the history has been that half of those children will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In environments where nothing good seems to be happening, your shoebox, your shoebox will land somewhere as a reminder to people in a dark world that God always, always finds the good. Right? Palm Bay, I talked to the Palm Bay community down there and, 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 and they blew up my email with things that God's doing. And one of the stories they shared with me was really cool. They've been going around to the public schools there in Brevard County, an incredibly poor school district who've had some really hard seasons and they've decided to open food pantries in these schools. And so when they got to one elementary, Brockard Elementary School, they were ready to go in there and begin to figure out how to, how to open a food pantry. And here's what they found. A security officer, a maintenance guy, 
who worked on the building had already had the idea. He didn't have the money. He didn't have the resources. All he knew was when he walked down the halls and lived in his community, he knew there was a need for these kids to not go home hungry on the weekend and during the summers. And so whether it was food or hygiene or clothing or whatever, he knew what he wanted to get started there. And with no more than a dream and a faith in God who always finds the good, our Palm Bay staff walked in an elementary school, prepared to start a food pantry. And what they found was a food pantry already fully stocked. Because God only needs one person, only needs one person to create a lot of good in this world today. A couple of our staff people shared with me a story of a desperate benevolence call this week. A desperate benevolence call from a woman who lived in an upstairs apartment who'd been completely abandoned. Her physical size and her physical condition did not allow her to even clean or bathe herself. She went looking for hope in a dark world and she found Tomoka Christian Church online. She found the number and she just made a random call, basically desperate for help. Two of our staff people took it upon themselves to travel into that unknown situation into what you would probably describe as the worst situation you may have ever been a part of. And they took the time that day to clean and bathe this woman, to give her some relief, to clean that apartment, to provide a modicum of hope for a woman who'd been abandoned in a world that at times can't find any good. Listen, you need to know, church, that we live in a world with a God who always finds the good. I know it's easy to be discouraged. I know it's easy to shake your head. And I know that from talking to people in the church, some of you are planning because you're Christian and because you love America. You're planning, right? You're, you're, you're readying your shotguns. You're readying your weaponry because we're going to have to fight. You want to know how to fight darkness, church? Step into the light. Bring light into dark places. Leave your shotgun empty in your garage and bring a bag of groceries instead. Bring a heart that's willing to step into dark places and stop talking to me about taking over a country that God promises to destroy in fire. Uh, You know what? I'm just going to start making that thing clap for me, right? But we've got to get past this notion. Our God is a God who finds good. But if you won't be the light in the dark world and all you're ready to do is take up arms against the enemy, you're taking up the wrong arm. The arm is about providing for people who are in need, showing them, listen, showing them the love of Jesus. I want to read to you what one of my staff people wrote from Palm Bay at the end of her email. She wrote these words and I printed them small, so I've got to use my glasses and I just wanted to share it with you, right? So don't make fun of me or at least do it after we're done, right? She said, I think about the world today. It's crazy right now. Yet now's the best time for the church. Every hardship Every disaster, every struggle, every, every trial, she says, you fill in the blank. Each one of those, she says, is an opportunity for blessing and life change. God is using it all. We get to be this generation of hope. And we're driven by hope. Wow. You can see God in everything. Man, our God is a God who finds the good. And here's the last one. Our God is a God, God who forgets the former told my friend, I really wanted to spend most of my time here, but we're not going to have, we're not going to have the time. Isaiah 65, 17, 
Isaiah writes this, Behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. How many of you are looking forward to that? Okay, 12 of you, right? How many of you are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth? Right? I think it's the greatest promise that God gives us today. Is that this stuff isn't going to last forever. And at some point in time, God's going to remake this thing new. And we get to come right back here. I think that's an awesome promise, church. And here's what he says is going to happen. The former things. Everybody say the former things. They're not going to be remembered. Nor will they come to mind. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stuff in my past I'd like to forget. Right? We've talked about this before. Isaiah 43. Isaiah, we preached about this when we were in Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I'm going to send to Babylon. He says, and I'm going to bring down as fugitives all those Babylonians. The people that I used to take you into captivity, I'm going to take them down. In the ships in which they took pride. He goes on to say, I'm the Lord your God. Your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. He goes on to say, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, they lay there never to rise again, exhausted, extinguished, and snuffed out like a wick. Forget, everybody read it with me. Forget former things. Not dwell on the past. Let's read it again. Bring that verse back up. Listen, for some of you, this is the only reason you're here. For some, for some of you, it's the only reason you're online. Because my, it's amazing to me how many of us are prisoners of the past while we live in the present. Listen, read it with me. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And here's why. Here's why. See, I'm doing a What? Listen, you can't get to the new if all your life is is built on the old. And for some of you, man, loving Jesus has just imprisoned you. Because you hear what God's call is. You know what great things God has in store for you. And yet you cannot get there because the former things are the present things. And the new never comes. It's time for us to move on, church. Man, for some of you, you've been living in the past. It's Listen, I'm not sitting here telling you it's easy. But I'm not about to tell you it's not possible. That's crazy. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ, Paul says, and I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How many of you want to know Jesus more? Right? How many of you want to know and experience more of his power? Here's what he says. I haven't obtained this yet. And I haven't been made perfect in that process. Can anybody relate to that? Right? He says, but, but, even though I'm not there, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We've talked about it a million times in here. You know that you were saved because God has a plan for you. Somebody say amen. God made you for a purpose. And how many of you want to know the purpose for which God made you? Say amen. He says this. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of all of this. But one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing I do. I forget what is. So that I can strain toward what's ahead. What's ahead? He says the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Listen, for some of you, the most important obstacle in your life of growing in your faith is your reluctance to let go of the past. I don't know all your stories and I certainly don't know all your pain. But I know this, you'll never be able, listen, you're never going to be able to get to where God wants you to go if all you have to do is live in the past. You may have been hurt. You may have been lied to, betrayed. You may have been abused. You may have been cheated on, taken advantage of. You may have been physically abused. You may have been robbed. You may have been unfairly fired. You may have been dealt a blow that you cannot figure out why it came to you. But I can tell you this. Our God's a God that forgets former things. The question is, are you the kind of person that's ready to live with a God who forgets those things by forgetting them too? Listen, for some of your marriages, the only reason your marriage stinks is because every day you don't live in the present. You bring every yesterday into every today. That's not possible. For some of you, the reason why you can't reconcile with your family is because some past hurt that you just can't let go of. And the idea of gathering with your family at Thanksgiving is nauseating because you're going to bring it up. Right? For some of you, you just, you can't move forward. Listen, it's time for us to stop making excuses about it. It's time for us to act like I don't, we don't understand the pain. We all understand the pain of a bad past. None of us, none of us misunderstands that. But man, let's stop making excuses. We have a God who forgets. The question is, does he have people who believe that? Because if you truly believe that God forgets the former things, it's time for you to forget them too. And so for some of you, that's going to start right tonight. It's going to start right tonight because you've never accepted Jesus because you've let your past completely cover who you are today. Maybe it's time for you to make that decision right here and right now. We'll have a decision team up here to the right of the stage. If you're online, push the button. I've decided. And for others of you, it's just a matter of, I need somebody to pray with because you know what? This is going to be hard, but it's time for me to get it done. We'll have a prayer team right up here to the left of the stage. But I love, I love knowing that the creator of the universe is ready to hear my prayer. Every once in a while, I'd like a response. In Isaiah 65, we get a response. From a God who tells me this is who I am. The question then is how are we going to live with that God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for making the first move. At the end of the day, you're not a God who didn't, who didn't wait. <laughs> who didn't wait for us to get it right, but you sent Jesus anyway. And my prayer and my desire is, God, that, that for those in this space, those online that don't know Jesus will accept him. And Father, I'm grateful that you're God who is eventually going to get even. <laughs> that you're not going to take this forever. I'm grateful that you're a God who finds the good in the midst of a dark world. I, I pray for our church to be light in a world that needs it so desperately. Be the force of good that you want your world to be and to have. And ultimately, God, I am grateful that you forget. And my prayer is that for everybody who's living in the bondage of the past, that they'll learn to trust in a God who forgets it all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.